0: Welcome to the Atelier Insights podcast series. Atelier is a strategic design and innovation consultancy based in Istanbul, Dubai, and Amsterdam, with an extensive network of creative professionals across the globe. Through our community-powered approach, we help organizations tackle complex challenges to create lasting impact. In this series, we're inviting you to witness and gain insights from real-life projects and challenges. We'll be sharing how leading organizations, practitioners, and thinkers design solutions for society. Each episode, we'll be hosting individuals from various fields, so you can expect to listen to cases on urban design, corporate innovation, sustainability, creative communities, and so on, through the lens of experts who work on these domains every day. Hope you enjoy the conversation and don't hesitate to contact us if you have any recommendations for experts we can host. Hello and welcome to the second installment of the Atelier podcast, but the first one ever to have a name. So I welcome you to Atelier Insights, our officially named uh, podcast. My name is Güray Sky. I'm the director of architectural design at Atelier. And here with me, I have Jeff Rizm, a uh, partner and chief innovation officer at Gale and Tim Porter. Associate Director of Development from Yosh Development. Welcome, gentlemen. Before we go into what we're going to be talking about today, Jeff, why don't you start telling us what it is that you do at Gale? Yeah,
1: great. So thanks. Pleasure to be here talking uh, with you both today. Um, So I'm partner and chief innovation officer at Gale. Gale is a global urban design practice. And what we try to do is really focus on the lived experience from many different people's perspectives as the main driver for how we design the spaces between buildings, essentially. So our work is very much about how streets, uh, public spaces, parks, uh, all of these in-between areas can be really purposefully and intentionally designed to make sure that people feel welcome, they can thrive, and ultimately have a chance to be connected to the rest of the building blocks of the city, like buildings and infrastructure, etc. And my role is really how we push the boundaries of that so you know as chief innovation officer which sounds like a fancy title is about how do we use that core of focusing on the human lived experience and apply it to as i mentioned not only spaces between buildings but a wide variety of environments and start to work with things like food systems and health and belonging and uh, affordability and some of the things we'll be talking about here.
2: Right.
0: Thank you. What about you, Tim?
2: Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I'm a director of design at uh, Yosh Development. We represent VVIP clients here in the UAE. Somewhat confidential nature of those projects, but um, you know, we're quite varied in terms of elements such as nationally significant projects as well. Uh, but my background's quite varied in the. Sense that I myself started more from an urban planning background um, and then developed through my career into consulting, working for a Fortune 500 company, and then moving into a development field, one more in destination development and then more into uh, the specific role that I'm in now in terms of working with uh, BBIP clients.
0: All right. Thank you. Today, we're going to be talking about urban transformation challenges, and we will try to keep it specific to the cities in the GCC. And to get the ball rolling, uh, I believe it's always really good to create some sort of foundation for the conversation and challenge the very definition of a term, which is a really old one, uh, how we define a city. And last night I was going through some material. Uh, I came across this book on my bookshelf and started reading on how Aristotle used to define the city. And it seemed very, very relevant to how we're going to shape the discussion today, because he says that the city is a multitude, Plato's. And to put it in perspective, he says, a city is formed by a multitude of citizens who share a common interest and agreement regarding the good life. So my question to you, how do we define a city in the present? present day? And what distinguishes cities in the GCC from others around the world?
1: Yeah, I could jump in to start. So super interesting definition, and also maybe especially dynamic way to deal with that in the GCC, right? Because I think I love the idea of the good life. And I think ultimately the city should be the canvas, the sort of places (laughs) where that good life can be expressed and, and lived and developed over time. And I think both the exciting thing and the challenge with the GCC is the diversity of people, of cultures, of definitions of what the good life is uh, being so varied across the region so i think there's a you know a really really interesting tension between trying to define that good life and create it but then also for me i think about how to how canvas can or how how architecture and this city canvas can have enough slack in it. So we design enough room for people to have the ability to define the good life as they like, take some ownership and usership uh, of places, which is not so much the role of architects (laughs) and designers (laughs) and developers, but more to create the space uh, for people to appropriate, to utilize, and to feel like um, they can create that good life themselves. Yeah, I
2: I don't think I can uh, describe it as eloquently as my peers. But I think looking at just from experience, so myself having grown up in a rural living on a farm and then moving to a city, one moving to for education opportunity. Um, and then from that um, career opportunity and having left Australia, had multiple different opportunities of working in different city environments from London to uh, Libya in North Africa, and then a variety of um, GCC Cities, and I think one of the key things, particularly the good life, is cities provide that opportunity of uh, experience and opportunity uh, to develop and to grow and and to mature oneself. And I think that is foundational to that element of that good life, um, particularly growth. And I do see that opportunity, particularly. In uh, my career is starting out as an urban planner where more established cities that have developed such as London and New York over a long period of time, um, we see the opportunity in the GCC, particularly in our career and architecture to really push those boundaries and to test those experiences and create new destinations that are quite unique to our time today and the future.
0: Yeah. So it kind of makes sense to underline that we do not view the city as a multitude of spaces, but a multitude of life. So the community aspect is crucial to us. So it might be good to dwell on, to discuss maybe, what are the building blocks of a society and how do these elements contribute to the formation of a community?
1: Yeah. Just like this light, light question, Skiri, I like it. Uh,
0: (laughs) No pressure.
1: I mean, if we want to basic building blocks of society, I'd say is, you know, places where you can have privacy and build your family life, but then also places where you can work and be educated. And then this sort of, you know, the civic space, this kind of all the stuff in between that we talked about before, to me is really a major, major building block that, to be honest, I think we sort of have lost track of in a lot of the newer developments. You know, I think... And this is sort of the challenge of how are we again purposeful about these building blocks without over designing them or making them too, I would almost say rigid and too sort of, you know, monofunctionally purpose, say for an individual point of view. So, but I mean, the short answer is those are those building blocks, right? Your way that you make a living, education, and then ability to come in contact with others. Yeah, I think
2: touching on what you say though, Jeff, is uh You know, the classic phrases when you're set out creating master plans in city environments and communities, the whole live, work and play scenario. But as you touch on that connective tissue, um, particularly in your area of specialization, that landscape design and how those building blocks relate to each other and providing within those spaces, those opportunities for community, for people to connect, to create relationships which is foundational to great places and that the good life again coming back as you say it's about people at the end of the day and it's uh it's how those building blocks are really tied together and foster that community
1: i'm just thinking i don't want to jump too far ahead but i can't help but you know, I'm based in Copenhagen. We're recording this right now when I'm in Los Angeles, obviously. And then the Gulf is a little bit of a, of the focus here. And I'm just reflecting a little bit on these building blocks, you know, in our sort of professional world of development architecture, we could talk a little bit theoretically about it, but it's always interesting to just experience cities in different ways. And I, I notice also here in LA, for example, you know, the, I wouldn't say the harshness, but there is a harshness uh, <laughs> to uh, life here, uh, also with the climate and just the distances and things being spread out that uh, remind me a little bit of uh, also, you know, the sort of golf condition somehow. So maybe we'll circle back around to how these different environments and sort of basic things like uh, hard or soft environments, Things like if those building blocks are kind of sensitive and kind and responsive to you, or if they're a little bit more rigid and fixed might be an interesting point of discussion here, but uh, I'll leave it to you to kind of guide that in terms of those how the building blocks manifest themselves differently. I'm
0: looking at my set of questions here, which are notes from our previous discussions. And one of them I think goes well here because once we establish those building blocks, I think it might be really nice to define the essential pillars of healthy environment. So we can curate the city according to these. So let me phrase that in form of a question. Uh, What are the essential pillars uh, of a healthy environment uh, that can meet the needs of a diverse group of people, uh, as opposed to a specific client, uh, which is the one I'm familiar with as an architect that typically is face-to-face with a single client. But here we have a diverse group of people, a wide community or a group of communities. How do we define those essential pillars against diversity? I mean, Jeff,
2: we can throw a few things in there, but again, coming down to the key components that Jeff touched on, open space network is crucial, and then accessibility. Um, Um, you know housing diversity is a key component in in most cities affordability um, opportunities for all that social capital component Um, particularly here designing for thermal comfort um, how you factor that in and just i mean safe communities as as well and secure communities and i think that's what makes Um, the UAE quite unique, a very safe environment to live in and what really attracts people uh, to live here. And then obviously the other components around work and those elements which support that uh, livability.
1: Yeah, I think you you touched on a good point there, Tim. I don't think we can downplay the issue of safety You know, this is something I've been thinking or perceived safety, right? As a fundamental building block. I have a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old in Copenhagen. You know, they've been able to bike to sports, gymnastics, soccer, to and from school, be relatively independent, really from a very early age, you know, six, seven years old, sort of been able to bike on their own. And now my daughter, 12, 13, meeting her friends in places, my son, nine, 10, like having that freedom to go home from school by himself, get ready, go to soccer practice by himself. So I think these the building blocks of how soon, how early, can you begin to explore the city on your own? And like, as part as you grow up, be able to have the city shape some experiences with you where you feel safe and secure, where you are independent, where you begin to become a citizen, I think early in life, right? And I think that idea of citizenship and feeling connected and feeling safe and secure is, it really comes to the fore when you're thinking about young kids, especially at this age, but it's true all the time. And I think it's interesting in the UAE, I mean, there's so much, I think, in general safety, you know. Very low crime, very safe place. But then this idea of, with the, can your kids still bike to and from work, uh, school or, or, or work on their own? It's not quite there yet. And I think that safety as a fundamental building block might be something to really lean in on and also be a, a little bit of a KPI like, hey, how do you know that these cities are really livable if you can do that, some of those things, right, from an early age?
2: I think you touched on something there, particularly around biking. It depends on how you determine safety. Obviously, I think it's from a safe point of view that your kid can go out and you feel that your child is safe and they're not going to be taken or anything like that. But from a safety point of view of vehicular safety, um, that's obviously a key element here. Obviously, this uh, is a newer city when you consider in terms of the global stage, and it's been designed over you know in a short period of time around the vehicle and then you you know how you plan for that into the future particularly around master plan communities to ensure that um you know pedestrian safety cycling and whatnot are suitably factored into that so that you can allow your children to go out in in an environment of all safety components are considered in so that's always the challenge of factor in all those components
1: and then to balance right because it should also be you know, again, I get this idea of of citizenship, and again, now forgive me for talking a lot about this parent angle, <laughs> but that's <laughs> the world I'm in. Um, that you can tell, you can tell your kids all kinds of stuff, right? right? Like be kind, be generous, be nice, uh, all that things. But they also, I think, there's something really interesting about when the environment around them. When the city also is like kind and generous <laughs> and soft to them, and they see other people coexisting, they see that it's safe for other kids. Their aides, they hear what they're allowed to do and not to do. And again, I see that contrast very much from Copenhagen to LA. I'm obviously American. You can hear from my accent. I've been living and working in Copenhagen for 20 years. Uh, we spend a lot of time in the states, and and we have really interesting conversations. You know, in my in my family about you know what my kids how we raise them but also what they learn from their environment and i think it's a really interesting element Because you talk about building blocks of society well society is the people who make it and those little citizens they get signals from the environment around them about how they're supposed to act and be and that's what the city shapes
2: out of interest though from your experience do you feel that um that can be designed in or it organically happens over time or it's a combination of both um, obviously, working in Copenhagen, a lot older city, versus you've you've worked in in this environment and seeing you know change in a shorter period of time. I mean, how how do you find, sorry, Gura? I've jumped into asking. Oh, <laughs> like, this is great, but great. <laughs> as, you know, on the flip side, as 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 a developer versus you as a, a designer. I mean, how how do you how do you find that um, happening, or is it because that's always a challenge when you come down to city and you ask the correct question early, Gura, between. UAE and other global cities and I think ultimately this is a lot younger you don't have that same period like London I lived in London for many years and you know just walking the streets is such an experience even now going back on holidays I love nothing more just to experience the streets and that organic nature and there's a romanticism in that it's very different to a car centric city built in a shorter period of time, which it misses out on that component. So you get coming back to the point, Jeff, is just how is it particularly in newer environments that you design that element in? And that's where you get that unique experience and safe sense of feeling. Is it it more organic or can you achieve it immediately?
1: Well, I think that's the real tension. You know, that's our challenge. And we know we have to build, we have to urbanize, especially in the Gulf, fast. The urbanization rate is incredible. I'm in awe every time I go to, um, to the UAE just to think about how it's changed and developed in such a short period of time and how it's become a magnet for so many people around the world seeking opportunity, seeking the good life, and that's amazing, but it's still not livable enough. Like, it's just Mm. not. (laughs) And Mm. I don't think we can wait. We don't have the time from a sustainability perspective, from a cultural perspective. We don't have the time to, like, just let sort of the organic culture adapt. I think we have to figure out a way. This is the big challenge of design and development, architecture, urban planning. I think the next couple of decades is how do we get this right from the beginning? How do we make things economically viable, have the speed of development happen, but still capture some of that? you know, old world, like you mentioned, London and Copenhagen pieces into it, but we have to get it right. And if we don't, we risk, you know, just going down a wrong path, not only from a energy sustainability youth, health, we we'll talk about these things, Gray, but there's just, there's just so many reasons why what got us, we can't this the urbanization that got us here now to this point, we can't actually continue on it.
0: Um, so livability cannot be achieved through design on its own. It's definitely requires a multi-layered approach. It is tethered to many different things like education, economics, and family values and culture and whatnot. While while you were talking about your kids and Copenhagen, I was thinking about my seven-year-old and how he cannot bike anywhere in Istanbul on its own, probably keep me awake at night. And I've been thinking behind the back of my head, uh, can that be achieved solely through design? And I don't think that's possible. But that can bring us to another discussion. Can design implementations become catalysts to provoke cultural change? Obviously, we cannot bring a whole city to another livability level just through design. But we can do design injections here and there in the city that slowly and gradually bring that quality up and use that as a catalyst. So that kind of city usage, everyday life spreads throughout the city. Do you think that's
2: possible? I would say definitely, particularly as we see transportation, how it's changing. And like we said before, you know, transportation really influence how and technology influence how cities developed over time from all strong cars. to vehicles and now today autonomous vehicles and myself I spend some time studying next generation transportation mag levitation pods all these sort of things and it's very interesting and sort of ahead of its time but we're seeing that in change happening quickly and it adapts very well to an environment like the UAE um, and newer cities grid formations how you can plug that in why do I say that because around those new technologies, you create transit hubs and around those hubs that you can concentrate livability and focus your infrastructure and your um, you know economic planning around those hubs and create destinations and connectivity. And I think that creates a, a great opportunity for planning. I mean, it used to be rail. Now, I think, it, you know, whether it's say autonomous vehicles, flying vehicles, I mean, Dubai has a plan for 2040, a certain percentage. Um, so I think it's quite exciting with the, the change in technology and transportation, what it will do to the city and focus planning around those hubs.
1: I agree. I agree, Tim. I mean, I think there's a lot of exciting technology, but for me, the key is where do we point it, right? And I constantly think about the human scale being the missing element here, right? You, we talk about Copenhagen and London, the organic city growth. The streets are too narrow for the fire regulations today. The roads are too windy, you know, for speed requirements or whatever. And that is sort of what's driving some. that experience so if we take that to technology now the transportation technology you mentioned you know even if we use all that amazing transportation technology in the right way if the transit hub is totally out of human scale and it's too big and it's not possible to live and build next to it then it doesn't really matter how amazing the technology will be but for me i think if we set the requirement this is the role of developers and designers and city leaders actually is to say it has to be human scale it has to be this tightly connected It has to meet all these elements. We know what they are and then use technology to still meet fire code, to still (laughs) make sure that things go on time, right? Use innovation and design to figure out how to deliver new ideas into this sort of more organic human scale environment. And- We still haven't really, I don't think, really challenged our pointed our technology innovation in that direction yet.
2: Yeah. And I think may touch on something that Gray have questions later, but you sort of touch on Jeff, not just one component. And it's not just Gray, as you said, can design solve all of these things. I don't think it is. It's a collective approach. And with city planning, it's really so many elements. It's one of them, infrastructure. I mean, there are two key elements, which may not get the sort of sexy appeal as architecture and landscape, but they're foundational to the um, development of a city. And it's important that we plan around it. But as you say, I think as technology changes, it's finding that flexibility. Sometimes those elements become unflexible and it limits that organic nature that sometimes brings that excitement to streets and how we can plan for that. And I think the only way for doing that is a collective approach, how we work closely together Um, You know, we can always work in our own silos, but the challenge is actually as a collective developing on each other's skill set and how that we can complement each other for the benefit of individuals, whether the benefit of the architect to create the best design or for the developer to, you know, create the best places for the community they're creating. Um, and return on investment as well. And I think it's a win-win for all parties. And I think it really does come back to that collective approach.
0: Yeah, exactly. Would you be interested to elaborate on your personal experience on how the effort of the architects, planners, developers, and governmental entities lay along? What is the experience in the GCC? How efficient is it to create the desired outcome for a livable city? And we previously discussed this too when you said return of investment. Of course, any developer is going to put in subcapital is going to ask for a profit just to sustain itself economically. But a governmental entity is also after a livable city to attract high quality citizens, especially in that region. Uh, So a livable city is a return of its investment in itself. So can you elaborate on your experience on the collective effort of these actors? There's a range of different questions in there. (laughs) Yeah. But starting out with
2: the first one, as I said, uh, as I started off earlier, I've sort of had a varied experience from being on the consulting side, now being on a developer side. And, you know, you do have different clients or a new consultant and different experience how different clients operate. And now myself being a client, I think you learn from experience what works best. And at the end of the day, we're talking about the city and what makes it livable. It's about the people. And it's the same within life, in work. It's It's about the people and how we work together and and forge great relationships to create great outcomes. And I try my best as a a client as a developer and working with my consultants to foster uh, those environments, to give everyone that opportunity to to do their best and excel and, and enjoy what they do. Because I think with everyone doing what they do best and enjoying it creates that great outcome. But ultimately it may seem crude to say this, but fundamentally there's, we all have to work in life within certain boxes, spheres. And as a client, my role to be able to create somewhat limitations But within that also flexibilities of how to get that outcome, as I said, depending if you're a developer working, coming back to your next point Bureau, which is, you know, there's different land uses within a city, therefore different type of developers, there are commercial developers could be solely focused on residential development, which has a different return on investment versus destination developments which have higher upfront costs but a longer return uh, payback period but you measure it differently because it's about that tourism impact to the wider economy which is often overlooked, but those destinations create a longer term strategy, longer term investment, but impacts on the development of a city in a a much greater way. So a range of different ways of cutting the cake in terms of looking at a city. It's so complex and that's why it's fascinating. I think um, more than that's why I love it so much. And I think people sort of don't really see what goes into creating a city because often it's seen as something that takes a long period of time. But, you know, what Jeff and ourselves are involved in is quite a unique and it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, I think just plugging in, I mean, I think the collective effort is so important. And as you're saying, Tim, and then it's a question of how do we honest about the trade-offs, right? And then how can the collective effort help mitigate some of the downside of the trade-offs? So I'm just thinking it in my head, right? So Tim, you mentioned a longer maybe payback period requirement for real estate investors. So I think that's fundamental. So then what can the city do? What can city authorities permitting bodies, the ones that are making regulations, I think work more closely with the invest the real estate development and investment community to say, okay, if we're expecting longer payback times, how can regulation city governance help you in that more certain permissions? Is that easier, better, more clarity on, you know, the different stakeholders, like faster permitting process, whatever it might be. Simultaneously, you know, I think you need architects and designers also, saying, all right, how can they be more, maybe more pragmatic or maybe uh, more solutions oriented rather than being so idealistic? I like to think about at Gale that we're pragmatic idealists, right? We have very high standards for what we expect, but we also want to try to get things done. So, all, all that I'm saying is that collective effort, absolutely. Long term investment, I think, is a key to this. But what do each of these collective actors need to stop or start doing <laughs> to make life easier for one another? Uh, rather yeah. than sort of constantly being in tension. And I think we just need to have more discussions, like honest discussions across those, you know, points of view to change a few things. Because again, I don't think the status quo is going to really get us what we want. How do you
2: find Jeff though, obviously working from a global point of view, applying that approach, you know, every city has, you know, different political focuses. Is it something that can holistically be adopted or is it start with the baby steps and isolate those components?
1: Yeah, well, I don't know if this answers your question directly, I mean, but I mean, I think, In many ways, for me, I think the global perspective is important because it's taking the best from different places. I mean, you know, take Dubai and Abu Dhabi in particular, actually, you know, really, really clear planning regulation, as I've experienced, like really strong, smart folks working in the city government committed to making things happen. So that works really, really well. Now, can you take then maybe... uk examples of you know very clear planning guidance like a lot of interesting you know written sort of planning regulation that sounds really good but more difficult to do in practice but can you still take some of that uh sort of theory from the uk planning law and i know that you've taken some of that tie that together with say copenhagen very very specific local area plans that really work on the edges of development and ensure connection between some developments in a way that they just demand more from developers. So those are just three examples where I think what I mean is that no place is doing this perfectly, but we can cherry pick. Obviously, you know Sydney and Melbourne have done amazing things as well, like cherry pick some of these things, make a sort of best of and then try to adapt that best of greatest hits thing to the local context, because obviously UAE is not Copenhagen, nor should it be, but it it can steal some of those best practices and vice versa. Copenhagen can learn from elements of the UAE as well.
0: Yeah, it also prevents us from the pitfalls of a top down approach on pushing design people's throats. This is the master plan and this is how you're supposed to live in it. And when you said long-term investment, I believe that also creates a great opportunity to let the city and the urban fabric evolve on its own, not only transformation by an upper hand. Evolution of a city plays as important role as transformation too, I believe. Uh, So the actual urban culture forms very organically when I believe the citizens, your kids, start learning from the environment because the culture is now there. It is rooted in something because it had the time to develop those roots and really cling hard to the space. I have one more question here on my list and It was to discuss different types of development projects. And I have words here like infill, intervention, uh, or expansion. Obviously, these require very different approaches. They're drastically different types of projects. But as of this weekend, I would like to change this question and ask something more controversial to you. I was in Venice, the opening of the Biennale of Architecture and attended some amazing events. Architects and urban planners have been obsessed with creating the city from scratch, especially last century. All the greats had a crack at it. Uh, Everyone tried their best. And now we see that trial back on the scene. Do you think all this, the livable city, the perfect city. Do you think it can be designed from scratch, built from scratch uh, with a culture of its own?
1: I think from scratch, I'm not sure how, what you mean from, from scratch, right? I mean, I think there's very, very few total blank canvases in the world, right? Because there is a adjacent culture, there is the climate and the context, there is what has been there before, historical traces, right? So I think it's super important to really never think of a total blank sheet, <laughs> but always take those things in, into consideration and really, 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 you know, study and understand. Them.
0: yeah i don't mean paper architecture when i say yeah, yeah. scratch but yeah, but, yeah, a, but a non-existent city uh, at a totally. real place
1: so i would say two things to that one is i don't know if we should be doing a whole lot of that of course there needs to be some urban expansion but i think there's a ton of room for infill and you know reuse creating new developments in our existing sort of city envelope to the extent possible because you can use existing infrastructure and you know build upon what's already there use the space more intensively. So I think to the extent possible, that should really be the focus. And it's hard, it's messy. You know, There's stakeholders, there's legal requirements on real estate that needs to change hands. And it's all over the world, it's just easier to work on the periphery of a city and sort of do that from scratch thing. But I think we should challenge ourselves to not do it. The other thing I'll say is that it's not a singular effort. Like Tim's point about the collective effort, you can't emphasize it enough, right? I think we get seduced by these exotic images by the heroic architects, like, designing this entire city from scratch, or the amazing development company designing this development from scratch. And I think we just have to be much more honest and real about, you know, there's going to be many, many, many visions uh, of it. It can't be a singular vision uh, if it's going to be from scratch. And it's got to be iterative and uh, learning from how it's built up over time, because it takes time to build something from scratch, right? So, learning and iterating and, and having many different voices, designers, developers. So yes, if we need to do it from scratch, definitely, but we have to find a new way to break up in both sort of size and scale the endeavor of designing from scratch and make sure that we're thinking, I think, in both smaller chunks and mulch, much more across disciplines.
2: Yeah, I can answer that any better than what you have, Jeff, but particularly to those, we Go into an age of planning for sustainability and touching on what you said about infrastructure, Jeff. You know, if we're at the periphery, the further you extend, the more land you consume and the impact on the environment, the further the cost of extending infrastructure. Um, I think that's where, uh, you know, that infill development and better utilization of land. Also, as technology changes, going back to the conversation around transportation and, and how we can make those elements connect better. I think that is should be more the focus. And I think, you know, going through the period that we have during COVID and isolation and then people coming out and wanting to be together. And I think that's an element of urbanization, living together and planning for that. And I think there is opportunity to better design, better plan, better connect um, as we go forward
0: yeah one last thing then on sustainability do you think it is time to think about adaptive reuse of buildings in the gcc or are the cities still a little too young for that Yeah, you're the expert on that.
2: <laughs> it depends when you say adaptive reuse i mean obviously you know the the age of the buildings here certainly are certainly um in good condition um majority of those yeah it's it's a young city i think it's very different compared to say a a new york or a london uh in terms of adaptive reuse i don't have the direct answer for that one for you (laughs) Uh, you're right what do you think
0: it is a very popular discussion these days and um, a very important aspect on sustainability too i believe um, in terms of creating new green buildings uh, transforming the old ones is something we should definitely be thinking about and working on A lot more. But again, as an architect whose work is mostly focused on the region, apart from interiors, I don't see the opportunity is that big yet, uh, especially in terms of um, changing trends, changing necessities, requirements. Uh, Like you said, the situation, the condition of the buildings are still good. They're still young, but I wanted to have the opportunity, the perspective of an expert Um, to see if i'm missing anything
2: no i mean have a look at i'm sure you followed it but like battersea power station in in london years of um planning and you know works. And finally, they, as I understand, they got the recipe right and recently opened it's apparent just an incredible development. But again, looking at that and the history of that building, and how it was able to transform from an industrial use to a residential and commercial use over, you know, that period of time, and then creating that community and destination around that, I mean, fascinating, amazing development. Again, I think there's age and history to be around that adaptive reuse. And I think certainly It will happen over time here, but it is a a much younger city, um, and those sort of factors that are be taken into consideration.
1: But I think there are. I mean, again, you guys are the expert, but it seems like there are still some, whether it be port areas or still areas that are transitioning from certain forms of industrial use that could still fall into that category. That I think are still very well situated and
0: like Misa Alcaz.
1: Yeah, exactly. Misa is one that comes to mind, and maybe some others. But I think it's actually good to start developing some uh, points of view about you know. Again, I, I would look at it from like an individual city perspective. Where is there existing infrastructure investment? Are there some places along that infrastructure that maybe, whether it be metro or whatever, that maybe aren't dense enough or performing as well as they could, are there gaps there? Well, those might be places for either densification, you know, change of uses or adaptive reuse in in some some minds. So I think having a strategy to it, not just sort of doing it randomly, but, you know, trying to use it to fill in the gaps, get more benefit out of infrastructure, maybe invite for certain types of, you know, building types or development types and using adaptive reuse as a vehicle for that would be interesting. I guess it's how you're
2: defining the adaptive reuse. I think from an architectural point of view, it often looks as a historical building that had an intent and a purpose and it has been repurposed for a different use whilst respecting um, that historical architecture. But again, if it comes down to sort of an industrial area and how you may adaptively replan that for a different community whilst respecting that history and how you see those, you know, industrial infill areas, which are fantastic. Again, I think certainly there's that opportunity. but. Um, it is something as time goes by, we'll see more of that
0: happening. Thank you. Well, I think that's all the time we have. If you don't have anything else to add to the conversation. No, it's been fantastic. Appreciate the uh, the opportunity. Yeah, thank yeah, you very just, much for joining.
1: Yeah, thank you. And I'll just, I, one thing I would just add is that. You know, I mentioned this global perspective and I want to make sure that it's clear that, you know, I work all over the world and I am, you know, truly inspired and in awe of the potential what's already been done, the challenge of urban development in the Gulf region. I mean, it's like so exciting. I tell everyone it's like this is the place where yeah. urbanization is happening yeah. the next couple of decades. I hope we get it right and it's collective effort and it's just super, super exciting and a lot of pressure to not mess it up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it is right. I mean, like I came I came here for like two months in twelve years. Later, I'm still here, and and again, I think in our field, and and there's so many of
1: those stories, Tim. Right, exactly. like so many people have done it. Yeah, yeah.
2: Because particularly, like you know, I mean, it's amazing in you know developed cities and whatnot. But the potential to in your career to literally do just incredible new developments um, are just you know, on offer in in this region. And it's it's absolutely fascinating.
0: Well, Jeff, Tim, thank you both for joining me at Atelier Insights, our beautifully named podcast. I hope people are walking away with more questions than they came with. Uh, That's the intent of this uh, podcast to provoke some new thoughts, raise some new questions and get them back hungry for more. Thank you very much. Great. Thank
2: you so much.
1: Thank you. Pleasure. Bye.